0: I called up Jeff Goodell because I wanted a kind of weather report. Jeff lives in Austin, Texas. And when I reached him, he told me it was relatively cool outside.
1: And by that, I mean, um, 90s. 90s is cool? Yeah. When you see a number with only two digits instead of three, it feels like, um, the depths of winter.
0: Jeff has spent the last few weeks sweltering under the Texas heat dome. It's so hot that when he goes to his car, he says, he's got to brace himself before touching the steering wheel.
1: We have a public swimming pool, a really great place called Barton Springs uh, in the center of the city Um, that stays open until 10 o'clock at night. And you go there at at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and it's jam-packed with people and, you know, the water is perfect and cool. and It feels like when you jump in, your body kind of sizzles because it's, it's so hot and then you're cooling off so fast. So it changes everything about the rhythms of your life.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like until this year, maybe even this year too, suffering through the heat has been kind of a badge of honor in Texas?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you hear that a lot here. You know, Texas is always hot. You know, Texas is tough. But one of the interesting things that's happening is, is that um, even people who kind of are, you know, feel that way, um, my wife, I didn't grow up in Texas, but my wife did. And, and you know, you know, she's talking about how, yeah, Texas is always hot, but this is different. And the sort of heat macho, the sort of like heat cowboy thing, I think, is being um, really challenged here because people are scared.
0: People have a reason to be scared. Last month, a postal worker in Dallas collapsed and died in the heat. Multiple hikers have been killed, too, including a father and his stepson. And all this is extra eerie for Jeff. He just wrote a whole book begging all of us to take heat more seriously. It's called The Heat Will Kill You First.
1: So I sort of feel, have this sort of Stephen King-like feeling of living in the pages of my own book.
0: The reason I'm talking to you now is that... It's not just Texas experiencing extreme heat. Like some scientists have been saying July 4th of this year was the hottest day ever recorded in Earth's history. And not just that, but July 3rd was the hottest day in Earth's history. And then July 4th topped that, which just feels relentless. Have we seen anything like this before?
1: Not in human history, not in the in the time that humans have been around to, to measure temperature. I mean, obviously, the Earth has been through um, a lot of extremes, but this is not, this is like basically the Earth freaking out at a rate faster than we anticipated, given the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. So when we think about adding more, um, you start to think about, well, how far can these extremes go? You know, it was... Um, 115, 116 degrees here in Austin, for example, last week, you know, can it get to be 120, 125, 130? What does that mean? And how do we survive that?
0: If we've never been here before, temperature-wise, do we have any idea where this is going?
1: No. I mean, to be blunt, no, we don't know.
0: today on the show. This summer is proof that we are living in an overheated world. So what are we going to do about it? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you.
1: All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we get too far, I want to ask you about the title of your book that's coming out. It's called The Heat Will Kill You First. Why that title? Where'd it come from?
1: Uh, What I wanted to really communicate was, or is, the immediacy of of heat and the immediate dangers and risks of heat. You know, we talk a lot about climate change, and we talk a lot about the different impacts. My previous book was about sea level rise, and that's a really significant thing that is changing the boundaries of the land and the sea and having massive implications for uh, coastal cities around the world but you know no one's gonna stand on the beach and and die because you know a glacier is melting in Antarctica it's not going to happen in real time uh, heat will I mean you can go for a walk on a hot day and if you're not careful and you don't know what you're doing and and if you get stuck in a really hot place or you have any kind of medical conditions or you run out of water all kinds of things can go wrong you can die and people do die all, all the time
0: yeah. Your book begins with this very affecting story of a whole family who died from heat exposure. I'm wondering if you could just tell their story and what happened to them.
1: Sure. It was a very tragic story that, you know, a, a family uh, living who just bought a house outside of uh, Yosemite National Park and in California, He was a software engineer in Silicon Valley, um, and they were exploring the area. They decided on one Sunday to go for a hike not far from where they lived. So they left early in the morning. Uh, The father put the one-year-old child in a carrier uh, on his back, and they had a a dog, their particular dog, with them, and they went for a hike and hiked a couple of miles down to a river, um, hung out there for a little bit. And then began their climb back. It was about a two mile hike back, but they didn't consider heat. It was, it was hot. It was like a hundred degrees, um, hot, but you know, not like the kind of number that would just scare the bejesus out of you immediately. And unfortunately, though, they had to climb up this very steep mountainside that was directly exposed to the sun. And they very quickly got into trouble. Um, It's not exactly clear the sequence of things, but basically they found the entire family dead on the trail the next day.
0: Including the dog.
1: Including the dog, right. And the baby. And the baby, yes. And it was an incredible tragedy um, uh, and very sad story, but emblematic to me of how the risks of heat and heat exposure are completely misunderstood.
0: You've written really eloquently about what could have happened inside these people's bodies as they fought off the heat. Can you explain that a little bit? Like what happens exactly? What is it about the heat that can be so overpowering physically?
1: I think we all intuitively know that our body temperature is really important. You know, we talk a lot about hot days and everything, but what really matters is, is our body's temperature. And so we have a very narrow range um, that internal body temperature can tolerate. And what happens on a hot day, especially if you are doing something like hiking or doing any kind of physical work, is that you know your body begins to overheat. And when your body begins to overheat, we only have one mechanism to cool off, which is sweating. And so in order to cool off, your heart starts pumping faster, pumps more blood out to this, your skin, surface of your skin where you sweat and the evaporation from the sweat cools off that blood and circulates through your body but if your heat if the heat is accumulating faster than it can be dissipated that way there's no other uh, mechanism in our body to get rid of the heat so your heart starts pumping faster and faster and faster Your body uh, pulls the blood away from uh, the inner organs, desperately trying to get it out to your skin to cool off. You begin to get dizzy. You begin to hallucinate.
0: You've said that actually like inside your body, some systems begin to melt.
1: Yeah, I mean, at a temperature, internal body temperature of about one hundred and four, um, one hundred and five, something like that, your cell membranes actually begin to what's called denature, sort of like what an egg does when you put it in a frying pan. It, the proteins break down. Uh, your your cells begin to actually melt. The, the the proteins, which are the sort of fundamental structures begin to unravel things happen like the, um, lining of your intestines begins to come apart. Um, your, your blood starts, um, clotting. Um, it, it's really a kind of cascading chaos in your body that is, um, very, uh, difficult to stop. Even if you go to a hospital, if you've gone too far into a heat stroke, it's very, very difficult, um, To repair the damage
0: it's also weirdly silent like one thing learning about this family's death in california it took a long time to figure out what happened with them months and even then it was just process of elimination to me it just it highlighted how there may be lots of people dying from heat and it's possible we don't know
1: oh, it's not only possible, it's very certain that we don't know. Um, heat death statistics, everybody acknowledges, are wildly uh, underestimated. You know, heat's not like a gunshot or gun, right? It doesn't leave a wound on your body. And so, you know, when people die uh, of heat, you know, they actually die of something else, like a heart attack or something like that. Uh, and in this case, with this family, you know, no one could believe that, you know, Two adults, a baby and a dog, could all just be kind of dead from heat. And so they looked for other things. They looked for water poisoning. They looked at some kind of group suicide thing. They looked at carbon monoxide release from a nearby, if there were any mines nearby. And it became clear there wasn't any of those things. And, um, you know, heat was, you know, the kind of obvious killer, but the invisible killer, the one that left no footprints, no tracks. And that sadly um what heat does, and sadly, why it's so kind of widely misunderstood and underestimated.
0: This family story also highlights something else, which is something you focus on in your book. The fact that deaths from heat are getting what what you say is more democratic, meaning it's not just older people, outdoor workers, other vulnerable groups that are being impacted. It's everyone. It's hitting all kinds of people. These are just people out for a pleasure walk essentially
1: yeah i mean you know heat is democratic in the sense that as i mentioned before all living things have this sort of thermal range that they can deal with and um it doesn't matter if you have you know 100 million dollars in the bank or if you have no money it doesn't matter if you're you know living you know at the equator or the north pole if you get too hot um you will die and um so heat is a, a very democratic in that sense. But it's also democratic in the sense that, you know, like you said, it's not just outdoor workers and things. Now, if it's 115 degrees and very humid, you don't have to spend a lot of time outdoors or stuck in that kind of environment to, um, to die. And a lot of people say, oh, well, it's no big deal. We have air conditioning. We'll be fine. You know, what's you know, I'm sorry for those people who are stuck outside, but, you know, I'm fine. Well, you're not fine because um, what happens if the power goes out? You know, here in Texas, we had a five day power outage a couple of winters ago. I was here for that. If the same kind of thing happened during a heat wave in a major city, which it could very well happen because the grid is always strained uh, as people crank up their ACs thousands of people will die. It will be what one infrastructure expert in my book described as a heat Katrina, referring to Hurricane Katrina um, that hit New Orleans a few years ago.
0: Hmm. And even if the heat doesn't kill you, it's not good for you, right? Like, I wonder if we can talk about the trickle-down impact of heat on human health.
1: There's lots of aspects of of that. I mean, and it's not just the sort of Direct aspects of it in the sense that, you know, there's more and more evidence showing that um, heat has psychological impacts, you know, suicide rates uh, go up, uh, rates of violence um, go up. But it's also the way heat impacts a lot of things sort of around us, you know. Um, it, it impacts um, the food that we can grow and where we can grow the food. And so that has enormous, not only public health implications, but economic implications, you know. If it gets too hot to grow corn in 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 Iowa, which is um, not hard to imagine, that that's going to change things in Iowa in a very big way. It changes disease patterns, you know. I spent a lot of time with... Uh, public health officials and others who trap and, and track mosquitoes. And, you know, it was announced that we're seeing a resurgence um, of malaria in the United States for the first time in in many decades.
0: So interesting. You're talking about like the hidden hand of heat, which I hadn't really considered, but then I guess I should because you look at what happened a little bit earlier in the summer with the wildfire smoke, like there are going to be more wildfires because it's hotter And smoke is then going to drift around, and that's also part of this, right?
1: Right. And, you know, one of the things that's widely misunderstood about heat that connects to what you're saying is that, you know, we're talking about heat here and it's like we're talking about it you know in the context of climate change and it's thought of as just like okay there's just another kind of aspect of climate change right it's like there's droughts there's you know sea level rise and there's heat but that's not true heat is the primary driver of all of these things the reason there are bigger hotter wildfires the reason the east coast was covered with you know orange skies for a week and people inhaling um, these uh, wildfire smoke and all the particular matter that goes along with that is because it's been hotter in in Alberta. The soil is drier. The trees are drier. They're more like kindling wood when they do start from a lightning or for whatever reason, they burn bigger and faster and hotter.
0: It's funny because I'm thinking about like, you know, Bill Clinton, when he was running for president, he used to say, "It's the economy, stupid." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the, that was the tagline. It's like it sounds like what you're saying is, "It's the heat, stupid." Like the heat is is the basis of a lot.
1: Yeah, can I steal that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got it.
1: That's true. No, that's a, you know, but that is exactly right. That is exactly r- what it is. It's the heat, stupid. It's r- that is the primary driver of all these other things that we're talking about.
0: Is there any chance, given the research you've done, that you think humans might somehow adapt to heat as a new normal?
1: Uh, Well, sure. I mean, you know, part of the thing implicit in your question, when you say humans, you you know, that's who, right? So certainly, you know, humans are incredibly good at adapting to things. We adapt to all kinds of horrible and wonderful things. So I have no question that, you know, We will adapt to this in some ways, but there will also be um, a lot of loss, a lot of suffering, a lot of death. I'm sitting here in my office in Austin, and, you know, four blocks away from me are uh, 200 people living under an overpass who are homeless, who are suffering greatly. And I promise you, they are not going to have as good an easy time adapting to, you know, the next extreme heat wave as I'm going to have.
0: When we come back, how places inside the heat dome are trying to cool off. I wonder if we can talk about what some regions are doing to mitigate the impact of extreme heat. And I I wonder if we should just start in Texas because it's where you are, and it's a place that's been seeing some of the most extreme heat over the last few weeks. What's happening in Texas that might show how regions will adapt?
1: Well, I mean, Texas is not uh, necessarily a um, paradigm of heat adaptation. Um,
0: Yeah, the way you answered that question, you were like, could we start somewhere else?
1: Uh, yeah well no I mean you know there are things I can talk about here and to be honest there's you know no place that is no city that I'm aware of is like a um, model example but you know here in Texas you know um, there's a big um, tree planting effort, as there is in um, in many cities. There's the creation of these more and more public spaces that are available to um, everybody. For example, the, the Blanton Museum of Art, which is a really great museum here in Austin, just erected these um, really beautiful 40-foot high kind of shade structures in what had formerly been a... Um, really hot, ugly kind of concrete courtyard in front of the museum, creating this wonderful shaded public space that's really great. Uh, you know, on hot days, the city has done things like um, made buses free f- for anybody so that you know, people who are homeless or otherwise can't afford air conditioning can just jump on a bus, which is, of course, air conditioning and ride the bus as long as they want just to cool down. Uh, they're building better bus stops. Better bus stops are, you know, like convection ovens in many cities. Um, So there's more thought going into that.
0: Experts also say that the ready supply of renewable energy in Texas, stuff like solar and wind, has been key in adapting to increasing temperatures. During the heat dome, a lot of coal and gas plants simply stopped functioning. But energy experts say the power grid managed to stay afloat largely because of all of the solar power available.
1: Texas is, you know, the oil capital, fossil fuel capital of America, for sure. Um, But, you know, there's been an amazing progress in um, the development and deployment of uh, wind and solar in Texas. It's a leader in the country in both.
0: It's like making the heat work for you.
1: Exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And, you know, it works better on these sort of hot, sunny days, right? It really... um, has been a model case in why renewables are great. Because not only are they, you know, reducing CO2 emissions and all that kind of thing, but they are also um, work better in, in these sort of hot, extreme conditions. And so that's kind of been proven out in the last few weeks here.
0: Some places have appointed chief heat officers. What do those people do?
1: <laughs> uh, it's a really great idea, actually. I mean, they're not... Um, They're not Gestapo, right? They're not like... (laughs) They they don't have...
0: Arresting the sun. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs)
1: Um, But, you know, one of the problems with heat is understanding heat is about just basically people don't understand it or stupid about what to do, uh, as I was. Um, uh, And there's just no thought in the kind of city bureaucracies and in the city public health and messaging and everything. So these... Heat officers are symbolic positions, but they're important positions that are a person in in these cities whose job it is to get everybody to think differently about heat. And so they meet with community groups, they meet with mayors, they meet with the city council, they meet with urban planners, they meet with universities. And they say basically to them, hey, you need to think about heat and um I think they're really valuable as a start, as a beginning in this long journey towards understanding this new world.
0: I think you're saying we're nowhere near prepared yet.
1: Uh, I'm saying that very clearly. Yes.
0: Yeah. You've already mentioned the idea of a heat Katrina, the idea that it gets very hot, everyone flips on their ACs, power grid fails, and then everyone's just cooking in their houses and how damaging that would be. Yeah. Yeah. When the people you talk to think about how things might go wrong when it comes to heat, I'm wondering what scenarios keep them up at night.
1: Well, I think two things. One is, you know, how extreme are these heat streams going to get? Could there be a 125-degree heat wave like right now in Texas? You know, and that kind of thing is very frightening because... You know, when you get into those temperature ranges, that's really deadly for a, a, a lot of people. So one of the scary things right now is just the uncertainty, even among the best climate scientists of how quickly our atmosphere and our climate is reacting just to the levels of warming we have now. The other thing is, is the, the sort of blackout scenario, you know, is a power failure because as I mentioned earlier, you know, air conditioning is all fine and dandy until it doesn't work. And um, one of the dangerous aspects of this is the way houses and buildings are built now. Um, you know, there are these sealed structures um, that are designed for efficiency, right? The, in order to make air conditioning as efficient as possible, you want it, it to be, you know, well insulated, you know, double pane windows, seal, everything sealed, no leaks, no drafts lock kind of thing. Well, that works fine, except if you turn off the air conditioning, you know, these buildings quickly become death traps because um, you can't open a window. You can't get ventilation. The building becomes, you know, just a convection oven very, very quickly. So that makes the, them kind of doubly dangerous,
0: You know, summer is usually seen as this time when people relax. They go on vacation. They spend time outside. I feel like extreme heat is about to ruin all that. (laughs) Do you think about how heat is going to just really shift our whole conception of this season and how we live it? Is it already doing that?
1: Oh, it totally is. I mean, you know, I moved to Texas four years ago and um, I grew up in the Bay Area, California. Summer was always, you know, this idyllic time going to the beach in Santa Cruz. I used to surf hiking in the Sierras. I loved the summer always um, in Texas here already. Summer is a, a brutal time, um, but What's happened this summer, you know, it has become, you're imprisoned, you're, it's, you're jailed by your, into your air conditioning and you don't dare go out. And I think it's going to change fundamentally um, how we think about summertime and how we think about this, you know, wonderful, free, warm, beach going time. I mean, I listen to, you know, Beach Boys songs now and it's a whole other (laughs) Vibe than the one that they're singing about.
0: How do you write a book like yours and avoid being a total pessimist?
1: (laughs) I get that question a lot. People are like, how can you write? I've been writing about climate change for 20 years and and it's like, why are you not just like an alcoholic stuck in your basement just like, you know? You know, it's, for me, it's a chronicling of loss and suffering uh, for sure in uh, writing a book like this. But It's also chronicling uh, incredible people, inspired, inspiring, learning new things, thinking differently about their world, you know. I think there's this idea that, oh, you know, if our world has to change too much, you know, that's a bad thing. But also, you know, I drive around Texas here and I see these long strip malls and all this ugly architecture Mm -hmm. and these suburban things. And it's just like... You know, it's not like our world is perfect, right? We can do better. We can build it in a better way. We can learn, we can be smarter, we can build more pleasant, more more hospitable cities. We can learn how to be safer in these environments. We can help protect more people. I mean, I think there's a lot of incredibly inspiring work going on and it really is exciting. I wake up every day thinking, well, what new am I gonna learn today?
0: Jeff, I'm so grateful for your research and your book and kind of just your energy on this topic. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Jeff Goodell is the author of the book, The Heat Will Kill You First, Life and Death on a Scorched Planet. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are getting a ton of support these days from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go say hi on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.